0: All right, let's go to stage four, uh, redemption. So you've gone through um, the invisible world, the spiritual world, about heaven and hell, the end of the world, end of the universe, for the stage one. And for stage two, uh, stage two, we talked about man. What is man? The composition of man, that man is a spiritual being who is bound to um, die twice physically and spiritually because of sin. And then uh, we talked about resurrection in that stage. The third stage, um, logically and inevitably touches on sin. And if we talked about sin, uh, as you recall, in terms of what types, how do we inherit it, um, and what is the price of sin, then the next thing that you need to talk about, again, logically and spiritually, biblically, and that's redemption. Um, Redemption is what God planned from the beginning. It's not because men wanted. it's not because men needed, not because men begged or prayed, but this is what God had in plan, in mind from the beginning. Uh, Ephesians chapter one, uh, from four, uh, verse four to twelve outlines about his grace about his redemption first Peter chapter one eighteen to twenty one also talks about that that we have been redeemed by the not perishable but imperishable seed um, of the word uh, which is the uh, the blood of Jesus, the blood of lamb. so because Jesus came uh, the word became man, uh, God came as man he, and he died without defending himself. Um, He paid the price of everyone's sin, all men's sin. So no one can bring charges against those who come before Jesus by the power um, of his blood. So once we have the power of his blood, we gain confidence to go before God uh, because of the blood, then no one can bring charges against us. No one can condemn us uh, because of his redemption. So redemption of Jesus is, um, is central to the gospel. It is uh, the core of the gospel. So up to um, stage three, you have brought people to acknowledge the possibility about the invisible world, the spiritual world, and who they really are. And when you talk about sin, everyone's, everyone who is honest and sincere will have to say that, they, that he's a sinner. He has sin. And of course, everyone's going to say, well, everyone is a sinner. Right, so they like to clump everyone and say, "Well, I'm not the only one." Right? I mean, am I the only one who lied? So everyone, uh, people would, uh, people like to feel comfortable and see comfort in number, but what we would like, what we want to do, is to drive them to confess that they are a sinner, that he is a sinner, that she is a sinner. So that she or he can have a relationship with the Savior. But but before getting to grace, we need to go through redemption. And again, redemption is very dry. This topic has to um, deal with the Old Testament, how the Old Testament atonement was completed through Jesus. So it's really dry, and you really need to review the Old Testament. Yet it is very important for us to get to grace. You realize when to talk about grace, you have to talk about the Old Testament. And you know, because we tend to think grace is like really good and it's loving and it's gift and it's easy to receive but it's not easy to preach you know i learned that long time ago so i realized when pastor talked about grace in or during zoe uh, lectures if you remember she spends great deal um, of time on atonement on redemption of the old testament because without it you don't get to grace right let's go to hebrews 9 12 to 14 He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them, so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. And also go to Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. All right, so the word redemption um, is the same as atonement or ransom, So they are used uh, interchange, interchangeably, but in the Old Testament, you will, uh, you'll probably see the word atonement appear more often, in the New Testament, redemption, but they all have the same meaning. But ransom, Jesus used to talk about himself in Matthew twenty twenty eight, that he came to serve men by giving his life as a ransom. So to die in place. So these three words um, are uh, referring to to the same concept. And the concept of redemption actually has many meanings. So that we need to tease out the differences to fully understand what Jesus um, did for us. So they all refer to what Jesus did in it, uh, with his flesh. In his flesh, Jesus suffered and paid the price of sin, uh, and, and through that, uh, he redeemed us. And by believing, we are forgiven. Um, because of redemption, we are cleansed. Because of redemptions, we are because of the redemption we are forgiven, and because of redemption, we are given life. Leviticus 17:11 says, the, uh, "The life of a creature is in its, li- uh, its life blood." And Hebrews nine twenty two also says that it gives life. Now we're going to look at a, a table that um, distinguishes the definition, different meanings of redemption. You have it in your paper, but um, I want to go over that. So, first definition is paying the price of sin. So when we say Jesus redeemed us, we are saying that Jesus paid the price of my sin, our sins, your sin, my sin. Okay. So paying the price of sin. Uh, what is the price of sin? death that's why Jesus died right? Because uh, sinners must die. the wage of sin is death. Um, as a result, we are forgiven of sin. So first we have to believe to be forgiven and nevertheless this is the effect of his redemption, which um, the part of redemption is paying the price of sin. So in general redemption means to pay the price of sin. But uh, there are other sub-meanings, so that's what the other two are going to be. The second meaning is paying the price uh, on behalf of someone else. So you die for someone else. You die in place of someone else. That's what redemption uh, uh, refers to. And on the night of Passover in Exodus 12, God commanded uh, the Israelites to kill one-year-old animals, right, to, to die in place of the firstborn male, uh, firstborn men, or animals. So redeem firstborn animals or uh, humans with, with lamb. So redeem firstborns or redeem sinners. Okay, so after the Passover, the Israelites didn't kill their firstborns, but for their firstborns, they had to redeem them. So they, they did that by killing an animal for their firstborn child. Do you understand, right? Firstborns die only for, uh, for Egyptians on the night of Passover. But after that, every year, they would have to redeem. Whenever they had a first child, they had to redeem for the first child. And in that case, animals died for the firstborn or sinner. And the third meaning is paying the price and buying back. Or pa- paying the price twice. I didn't write that there. But paying the price twice and buying back. So if you say you're buying back, you pay the price once, and then somehow it got lost or stolen. But to get that back, you pay it again. I, I preach about this the last day of uh, retreat, right? So repurchase, rebuying, buying back. So it's the notion of the former slave running away and then the master sees the f- slave in auction. Remember that, right, the example? He, pays the high, he bids the highest price and he buys the slave and pays the price for the slave twice, right, to make him uh, his once again. So that's the notion uh, third notion of redemption, so paying the price twice to buy back what was once his his there is redemption uh, master, uh, namely uh, specifically that's Jesus the Lord. So in the Bible the word redemption or atonement is used. the same words are used to describe these three different meanings, but we all we for ourselves we need to understand the subtle differences um, of, of this these uh, meanings that are included in the same word so redemption can just plainly mean redeem pay the price of our sins but at other times it means to buy back that jesus bought us back from whom from the devil right because the devil stole all men when he deceived adam to sin let's go to first peter 1 18 to 19 there the last passage there first peter 1 18 to 19 for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, there's silver or gold is mentioned because it, um, those are um, those were precious uh, commodities at the time as well as they're today. Silver is not as much, but gold is still um, very precious, um, so when the recession hit, one of our church members wrote a long email to Pastor Kang and saying, Pastor, we need to buy gold. (laughs) Anyway, so he wrote a long dissertation why we need to buy blocks of gold. Um, So we learned that he knows how to write, but we didn't buy gold. But anyway, so gold, gold is considered um, uh, valuable, uh, consistently valuable, that it's, its value doesn't uh, you know, go down that it stays pretty consistently. Um, but more more precious than gold is obviously silver, and more precious than silver is, I was just saying something called uh, nano, which is subparticle, uh, atomic particle, atom, right? The subparticles of, of atoms, so a very very small part. But with nano, uh, they make durable things, things to last. So um, you know, nano vitamins, anyone? New skin nano, but anyway. Uh, so that's where the name comes from. I don't know they, if they really use it or not, but. Um, so the reason why silver or gold is used is because they are durable and precious uh, goods with which people used to pay the price. So they would buy things with silver or gold or that we still use today. Now, if our redemption, the redemption of, of our souls from sin and death and the devil were paid or bought with silver or gold, then we, uh, this redemption would only last as long as silver or gold would last, right? But when we look at First Peter chapter 3, um, we see that, in the end, all elements will disappear, all elements will melt in that fire, the great judge uh, in the great uh, day of judgment. so silver or gold will not last. If redemption was done with silver or gold, then it would also disappear when the world disappears. But our redemption was done with the precious the ever, uh, the eternal blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ. So our redemption we, is effective as as long as his blood so because his blood is eternal how long is our redemption good for eternal eternity so his price was uh, his paying of price was once for all his redemption was once for all no more do we need to uh, redeem or give sacrifices because his redemption with his blood is eternal therefore our redemption is eternal so this is the foundation of Christian faith. We have to base our faith on the redemption of God, and this is what makes Christianity different from religions. Which I'm going to end the lecture on, but just to 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 talk to give you the whole lecture. The reason I, we're talking about this topic is to tell others, you know, people who are believing in I don't know uh, Islam or Buddhism or some some religion, how are you going to argue that? Christianity is different, and therefore it's superior to their religions. To talk about redemption, redemption is what makes Christianity superior. I'm going to get to that at the end, but um, this is the foundation of Christian faith. The Old Testament atonement that the Jews um, gave uh, until Jesus came was about 1,500 or 1,700 years um, period. So from Moses to Jesus, uh, it's about 1,500 plus or minus. and they were conduct. They were told. They were commanded to give animals as sacrifice for them to understand the meaning of redemption. That sinners must be redeemed for, right? Um, and to understand the purpose of that redemption, um, so that more people can be saved as a result. And it was the model, the sample of what Jesus was going to fulfill. So it was not perfect in the Old Testament. So let's go over the meaning of redemption once again. Um, the definition of redemption. It's to pay, pay the price of sin. That's the general definition of redemption, the, to pay the price of sin. In that table, I gave you like three meanings, but the top meaning is almost like an umbrella term, and everybody uh, the other uh, meanings fall under uh, that. So the, paying the price of sin is the general meaning of redemption. Leviticus 16.30 says, Because of this Day of Atonement will be made for you to cleanse you, then before the Lord, you'll be clean from all your sins. So to pay the price of sin means to cleanse us, cleanse sinners of their um, sins. So the law uh, demands uh, price, um, the, the, pay, the price of sin from sinners. So if you sin, you have to pay the price. You have to pay the wage of, of that sin. So that's what they practiced. You know, uh, as soon as they sinned, anyone sinned, they had to be punished right away. They had to be judged immediately so that the people can practice and understand that the price of sin was death. Um, but for them to live, then uh, the same law that commanded them to punish sinners also commanded them to give atonement, make atonement for sinners. And when they did, they, um, a sinner brought an animal to the priest, and the priest um, laid uh, his hand on the animal and uh, had the sinner confess his sinner, sin above the animal. So the sins that, uh, that were confessed would be transferred, removed from the sinner onto the animal. Then the animal would be killed. So the animal represented the sinner dying, but the sinner lived, right? So um, that act, that whole practice was atonement. They also had to make atonement, not just for their themselves, but for the sanctuary. Exodus 30, 10, and Leviticus 1633 to 34, says that they had to make atonement for the sanctuary. Why? Why did they have to give uh, make atonement for the sanctuary? Because the Bible says when they sinned, when men sinned, they made the sanctuary unclean. So the sanctuary became unclean as a result of men's sin. So they had to redeem for their sins, cleanse their sins, as well as the sanctuary, the tabernacle, and the temple later on. The purpose of redemption B. The first purpose is uh, the forgiveness of sin. And let's look at Hebrews nine eighteen to twenty two. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves and, together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep, In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So as I said already, the sinner had to bring a calf, uh, an animal, um, to to the priest in the temple. And once he uh, confessed his sins over the animal, the animal um, carried... The sinner sins, and then when the animal was killed, um, without making a noise, you know um, that's the unique characteristic of, of sheep or lamb that they die silently. That's why Jesus is also used to describe as I mean, he, uh, the lamb is the lamb of God. You know, the concept of lamb of God, yes, to be killed, but also the unique quality of, of that animal, which is um, to it dies without defending itself. It's it's it's, it, dies a quiet death, silent death, um, almost, you know, sadly. And that's what these animals did. They, without making a noise... they were killed because of the sinner, and uh, their blood was uh, poured at the altar, the base of the altar. And when the atonement was uh, completed, then Leviticus 4, 27 to 35 says, "Their all transgressions and iniquities were forgiven. So they were considered to be forgiven when the whole process of atonement, the whole ceremony, the sacrifice was done. Then they were forgiven, and they were okay. Okay? Second, is to cleanse. So Leviticus sixteen thirty says, "Because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you, then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins." So, to, uh, the reason why one had to redeem was to be forgiven. Number one, second, to be cleansed. Um, and here the concept of holy or holiness comes in. The word holy in Hebrew is kadosh. And kadosh uh, means to be set apart. So it's completely different. To be set apart, it is not like all the others at all. It is completely different. So uh, when God called the people of Israel, he, named, he called them the holy people of God. You're my holy people. Now, God calling them holy did not make them holy Right? They were just called holy. They were set apart from the rest of the other peoples on earth. Only when they uh, shed blood of the animal and it, it was sprinkled on them, then they were, they were truly then uh, set apart. They were cleansed. They were clean. Uh, so they had to make atonement of sin year after year to remain clean, to be recognized as clean people, holy people. Okay? Three, it was for life. Uh, go to Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So the reason why God commanded them to uh, give blood is not because God loves blood like his a vampire or something like that, but uh, because blood has life. Uh, blood has life and death, the dual Meaning about blood, because blood keeps us alive. But once we lose blood, then we die. Right? So, blood has our life in it. Blood has life, and that life um, uh, makes atonement uh, for us. So, the result of redemption uh, was to receive life. And in the Old Testament, as they this, they did this year year after year, they didn't receive life in the spirit, but they left. They received life in their flesh. So they sustained their breath for another year, another year, another year. It was repeated. So they would live long, healthy life as a result of giving, uh, making atonement uh, for their sins. Let's talk about the objects of redemption. What were the things, uh, or uh, who were the people who were redeemed? The people uh, as a whole were redeemed. Leviticus 32, 43 says, The priests were also redeemed. So um, that reminds us that they have to be redeemed. They're also human. They're also sinners, right? So priests were redeemed for 1633 Leviticus. The Levites um, from whom the priests came had to uh, be redeemed. And if you recall, um, yeah, the Levites were chosen to serve God. So they were uh, redeemed. The tent of the sanctuary uh, was redeemed. For uh, the most holy place was redeemed. The altar was redeemed. The vessels that were used inside the, uh, the the temple, the sanctuary, were also redeemed. So everything that was used for the service of God, service to God, well, had to be redeemed, uh, made atonement for. Why? Because they're all unclean. So even the holy of holies uh, or the holy space uh, that men understood, the Israelites understood as God's presence had to also be uh, redeemed for because uh, it was unclean without blood. Only when there was the sprinkling of blood, then it was cleansed and it was ready to be served, uh, used for the service uh, to God. Okay, D, the method of redemption. So in the English translation um, for redemption, uh, different words are used to describe this, uh, you know, ceremony, this whole process of redemption. Um, they all refer to the same idea. Sacrifice, offering. Um, and one more thing is service. So throughout the Bible, these words are used interchangeably, service, sacrifice, offering. So when they gave um, sacrifice for their sin, it's called sin offering, right? So even though it's sacrifice, they gave to God. So the notion of giving to God is, is expressed in the word offering. So, these all describe the atonement process, the ceremony of making atonement uh, or redeeming. And there are two types of atonement, uh, atoning sacrifices. Um, First, there was sin offering. And sin offering was something that every sinner had to give once every year. So, once a year, um, every year, every sinner had to give for his sin. That's sin offering. But then there's another offering called peace offering, and the peace offering was given at every occasion or any occasion. So they had to make peace. Um, they would give um, to God another sacrifice in addition to the mandatory sin offering. Okay, so at- atonement, uh, sin offering is atonement. It is uh, redemption. But the, um, the, the atonement that uh, the sinners made every year for himself once a year is sin offering, which is different from um, peace offering. And the reason why they had to repeat the process every year was uh, because as Hebrews 10 one to eight, uh, verses 1 to 8 says, it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away uh, sins of men, to cleanse the, uh, the souls of men perfectly. It was impossible. So they had to do it once every year. Because the blood was one-year-old animals, so the contract was good for one year. Just as you renew your apartment contract every year, uh, you have to sign your contract. If you don't sign your contract, you don't live there next year, right? Even though you've been living there for 10 years, 20 years, you still have to sign the contract, renewal contract. And that was what they did uh, for their atonement in the Old Testament. All right. E, the atoning sacrifice. In Exodus 25 verse 8, God says to the Israelites, make a sanctuary for me. So in ch- uh, with Exodus 25 and all the way for many, many chapters after that, it, uh, it, it conveys the process and the details in which the Israelites made the temple, made the tabernacle, right? So made the sanctuary in the desert. So all the details, the measurements, the material, um, the design, everything that God gave through Moses, the Israelites followed. So from Exodus 25, we see that. So the reason why they made all that stuff was for God. Uh, the space was made for God. The sanctuary was for God. And the atonement that they had to make for their sins was also before God. It was for God, to God. Okay, so Leviticus 14, 29, and chapters, uh, chapter 15, verse 15, chapter 19, 22, uh, they all describe atonement uh, being made before the lord it was before the lord uh it was for the lord to receive for his eyes for him to uh, acknowledge okay so all sacrifices were made for god now to talk about this sacrifice let's look at different par- parts of um, the sanctuary what it's made above and what's inside first we start with the holy place i'm sorry it should be capitalized h and p should be capitalized the holy place Hebrews 9, 1, 2, 3. Let's look at that together. Texting is a horrible thing because it kills your grammar and all your writing. And I am, look at me, like I wrote Holy Place. I know I was like just doing it really, really fast, but if I didn't text as often as I do today, I would have said H, capital H and capital P, but sorry. All right, the Holy Place 9, 1, 2, 3. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room were the lampstand, the tabernacle, the consecrated bread, or the table under the table and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy uh, place. All right, so the tabernacle of meeting which started in the desert uh, with Moses had its opening towards east so the tent uh, covered the whole space and inside there was an area which was also covered with um, tent and it was divided into two spaces Um, before get to the inside of the curtain, we have to be outside here. So there's the altar, sacrificial altar. Dylan, I think we need new. Did you leave me some in my office? I think I have a new one. Bob, can you give me a new one? The sacrificial altar. That's where they burned up um, the fat and then Pour the blood at the altar. And then there is basin here. Bronze basin with water. Okay. And then... um, if, when the priests went in, they went through the first um, curtain, which brought them into um, what's called the holy place. And in the holy place um, were first the table of showbread, and uh, there were two stacks of bread. Totaling 12 loaves, right? Which means? 12 tries. There you go. Just checking if you're awake. Okay, so that's the showbread table. Wait a minute. This looks like it's pointing here. All right, so this is, I just want you to get the term, the table of showbread bread. Showbread, okay? And then there was um, the lampstand, just called menorah, which I found out has seven stands. The one that's used for Hanukkah has nine, but anyway, that's just a side. So this is a lamb stand. Okay, and then there was incense, the altar of incense, where they had to smoke, you know, like that, right? So that's incense. The altar. Sorry. So the altar of incense was right in front of the second curtain. That's a little messy. And then here was the ark, okay, which is the ark or the testimony. They're referring to the same thing, and on top of it is called the mercy seat. The covering is called the mercy seat or the atonement cover. Thank you. Oh, my God. This is like bouncing, making me dizzy. Okay, mercy seat or the atonement cover. I think it's called the mercy seat in the uh, older uh, translation but in the NIV I think only the atonement cover um, appears but anyway they refer to the same concept the covering of the ark is called the mercy seat or the atonement um, cover and the box itself is called the ark of covenant or the testimony the ark of testimony or just testimony so in the bible you would see the testimony with capitalized T and that's it so sometimes it's just called the testimony or the ark okay so that whole thing is called the tabernacle of meeting or the tent of uh, meeting. So if you're drawing for the first time, I, I, I will go over there again. I'm sorry, it's, I forgot. This is the most holy place. The most holy place or the holy of holies in the, or, uh, in the New King uh, James Version. Okay, so again, so this is the um, sacrificial altar where the animal's fat was burned and then it was also smoking here and blood was poured at the basin, uh, at the base. And then there's bronze basin where they filled it with water to wash or to uh, look at their reflection. I'm going to show you the pictures of it, but I'm just giving you an aerial uh, version, Google Earth kind of version. Okay, so uh, the holy, this whole space is called the holy place. And uh, it it has three big items. The first is the table of showbread with fresh 12 loaves of bread on it all the time. And then there's lamb stand, which was also lit all the time. Menorah in uh, Hebrew. So during Hanukkah time, you see this, right? But the stems are more during Hanukkah. But the one in the temple is seven um, stems. This is the altar of incense where uh, the smoke, uh, the, uh, the perfume or the incense filled both spaces. So if you recall, when they lit this, it would, the smoke will fill here, and then eventually when it will go through the curtain and fill this space, and the high priest was then ready to go in. Okay, And then here is the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies, where there was just one thing, and that was the Ark. And on top of it's called the mercy seat or the atonement cover where God promised to meet with uh, Israel through the high priest. Okay? So uh, I'm going to show you some pictures. So that's a model somewhere in the desert in one of the Middle East countries, I guess. And uh, you see the different angle of... Can you see? On top of the board, can you see? Yeah. So that's the, um, the, the tent outside, which was white. And remember, it had the silver poles and shiny poles. From far, it, it would look like it's glowing. And then the dark tent is where the holy place and the most holy place were. This is the altar. And there's a bronze basin right here It's actually really big. OK, let's go to the next picture. So I'm sorry it's, it's kind of blurry, but that's the altar. It's actually not that small, but it's really big. Right? So there's a platform that goes to the altar. And one more. And this is the bronze basin, which is also very huge. Right. So they washed their faces. The women who worked there also uh, took the soot off their face because when they're burning stuff, they get the ashes on their faces, so they need to wash, wash their hands. And when the uh, priests were clean, then they went in uh, to the first, through the first curtain. Let's look like at the holy place. The holy place is the first curtain Here. Uh, It had the lampstand, the table of the consecrated bread, the golden altar of incense, and the priest entered and served there at all times. And I have some pictures. So that's the veil that separated the two spaces. And these are um, priests. That's the high priest. That's the regular priest. They're not real people. Anyway, um, they're mannequins. So this is the menorah. The lampstand, and that's the golden altar of incense, where they, perfume or incense fragrance was, uh, sp- you know, filling up the space. This is the, the table of uh, con- the consecrated bread or the show bread, um, both referring to the same thing. This is the table. Kind of looks like pita bread, doesn't it? Pita bread, yeah. Okay. This is the high priest. He shouldn't be here. He should be in the next picture, but I didn't have space. I put him here. So he is wearing a turban and a breastplate with 12 uh, precious stones representing 12 tribes of Israel, and he's wearing ephod. That's purple garment, and he has bells underneath, so on. Okay. Then the most holy place is the second curtain, it had the ark. Inside the ark, as you know, had uh, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, and the butted rod, rod of Aaron, and the golden vase of manna were placed. Those three items were inside the ark, and that's the ark. And if you remember in Exodus, uh, God commanded them to place two golden cherub or um, angels uh, hovering over. The Ark, which is here, closed with the atonement cover, right? So this represents the holy presence of, of God, dwelling among, in the midst of angels. Uh, and this is um, inside the Ark, tablets. You know this is not real, right? Okay, just in case. Because <laughs> some of you, I think you're looking, wow. It's not real, Okay. Just making sure, right? So only the high priest, because some of you are so naive or gullible that you think it's real, but it's not. All right, so uh, the on, only the high priest entered there once a year um, with blood. Only the blood went in, no fat, no, no, nothing else, but just the blood. He went in there and served God, um, spoke with God once a year right here. Okay, so God dwells in the mercy seat. Uh, it is thought of that, the, that his mercy flowed from the mercy seat. So this is where he forgave the sins of Israel. All right? I think the pictures always help. It makes it more interesting. Um, so, but if you have been to Lancaster, like some people that I know, every year you made pilgrimage to the Kim family, have gone there, so maybe you could even draw pictures for me uh, if you wanted. But anyway, these are the model, and they should help you over that so now we're going to go into the ministry who served there okay the ministry in exodus 28 to 29 um the detail uh those chapters detail the steps to uh follow in appointing priests right so to appoint priests uh they had to come from uh the levites the levites one of the 12 tribes, and not all Levites are eligible to become priests. They had to come from Aaron's uh, descendants. So Numbers chapter 3, verse 3, chapter 18, verse 7, it uh, describes that. Uh, so the priests had to be pretty much perfect guys. They had to look a certain way. They couldn't have diseases or anything like that. But among them, uh, the high priest uh, Uh, Would be appointed, but the high priest was um, a lifetime appointment. So, like the the Supreme Court justices, is a lifetime appointment until you die or you get dementia or Alzheimer's disease, whatever. You serve uh, just like that. The high priest served their lifetime. So, if they were appointed at the age of twenty, they would might be serving for another 50 years. But once they die, their son, his son will t- take over his place and continue uh, to uh, serve. And for the, uh, for the high priest to be appointed, uh, no, sorry, for a priest to be appointed, he had to wash his entire body with clear water and put an undergarment of pure linen and to wear ephod and then breastplate, and a turban on his head. This is high priest. Um, and for, he had to give his own atoning sacrifice, so he had to slaughter a lamb and shed its blood, and its blood was sprinkled on the priest's garment, on his right ear lobe, and his right thumb, and right big toe. Don't ask me why, but that's the way it is. In Exodus 19, 29, I used to read this, like, what's the point? But the whole idea is to convey that they had to be atoned for. They're just as sinners as we are, right? So they had to be do, to be consecrated uh, in order for them to start the service. He was sprinkled with the anointing oil on top of that. So blood and oil uh, had to be uh, poured on for him to serve God. All right, so the whole process is very, very detailed. It is picky, and it's so fastidious, uh, but... Even after that, uh, they were not perfect. High priests were not perfect. Even though they were seen as perfect men among the Israelites, they were not. Because first, they had to uh, give sacrifice for their own sin, which means that they were human. They were sinners. Second, they died. So um, if they were witnesses of someone's sin offering, right, someone's, uh, someone made atonement for his sin and the high priest died, the sinner has no witness to say, He's without sin. He's been forgiven, right? So the high priest stands as a witness of someone's uh, atonement, someone's forgiveness. But if the high priest dies, there is no more witness. So who's going to testify that this sinner is without sin, that he is forgiven, right? So those are two major flaws of the high priest, that he has sinned, that he died, okay? And Hebrews chapter 7 talks about that. So uh, even though the high priest is considered as the mediator between God and men, that he was a mediator, he he reconciled the two together. As he went in here, he was human, he was sinner, therefore he was not perfect. All right, let's go to the offering sacrifice. For offerings, um, yes, first they had they gave animals, and uh, you know we say like a lamb or sheep all the time, but it's not. It wasn't just lamb. They gave bulls, goats, uh, they gave calves. But in Israel, they look very, very similar. So I guess to us, we're not so knowledgeable about these um, animals that we would think that they were the same. But uh, anyway, so these um, behooved animals, right? So uh, the uh, bulls and lambs, goats, and, and also doves were used um, for animal sacrifices. Also uh, grains, cereal. Wheat, yeah, all that stuff. I'm trying to make speak your language. So, green grains also were given as uh, offerings. So, this is all outlined in Leviticus chapters one to seven. When they gave animals, the animals had to be f- perfect. Nothing sick. Nothing uh, without a leg or without an eye. It had to be perfect, and it had to be a, a spotless one year, uh, one year old. So, they were used. Uh, the commonly used animals were bulls. bulls were the common animals uh, given. So sin offerings were given by each person once a year. So once a year, let's say there were 3 million Israelites at some point, right? How many uh, bulls or lambs died in one year? 3 million. So every man had to give offering for his sin, for for the forgiveness of his sin. And... um, and in addition to that, animals also die for other animals. Sometimes they had to be redeemed for other animals, the firstborn animals or something like that. So uh, they died for that. They die for peace offering, right? They die for guilt offering. There were other offerings besides sin offering, so many, right? So uh, for, for, for them to be forgiven of their guilt, they had to give animals. So countless animals died for 1,500 years. Uh, years since Moses uh, received it until the time of Jesus. Um, so the grain offerings and the peace offerings had similar contents, but sin offering had to always be with blood. It had to be an animal with blood. Blood had to be uh, a part of it. So the blood of the sacrifice was poured at the altar, right, and the fat was burned, but its inner parts, like the gut and its poo and all that stuff, uh, they were burned outside. The meat was burned at the altar, but the, um, all the other parts of the animal were burned outside uh, the camp, outside the city. Okay. So only the part of the sacrifice that entered the most holy place was the blood. Only the blood went into the most holy place with, because without blood, you cannot meet with God. It is impossible to see the face of the Lord. Only the blood can make a way for sinners to go before Um, god so only when the blood reached the atonement cover the mercy seat then the whole process was considered to be finished right so when the high priest successfully uh, made atonement and served god there that he didn't die because a lot of high priests did die in there uh, then he would come out to the people who are waiting out here and say your sins are forgiven god bless you for this year you can live this year you won't have to worry about your sin so the sinners would wait outside for the noose, you know, for the result of their atonement. Okay, so Leviticus, oh, all right. So we'll go to F, the completion of redemption. So when Jesus died at the cross, he said, it is finished. And the reason why he said it is finished was atonement. It's because atonement for the sins of all men was finished. When Jesus, that one one man, died, all men's sins were redeemed once for all. So through his death and his blood, all men were redeemed. So we're going to try to understand how that happened. First, Jesus Christ he himself became the eternal sanctuary. He became the temple. Whoa, I guess I missed the animation here. So when in John two nineteen, when Jesus destroyed this temple and I'll raise it again in three days, the Jews said, it, had ta- it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And the disciples remember this after Jesus died and rose. Right? So it's that John 2, 19-21 uh, confirms that Jesus uh, was speaking of his temple, that he is the temple of God. And when Jesus died at the cross, uh, the veil, what happened? Torn. The temple, I mean the veil inside, torn, right? So um, you tore the veil you made a way, right? And you said that it, it is done, right? Something like that. So that song says so when Jesus said it is finished, the temple in uh, the veil in the temple tore into two, making a way for two spaces to come together for God and sinners to come together so they can be reconciled because Jesus died. Okay, so uh, that's what Matthew uh, twenty-seven fifty says, that when he died, the temple tore. When his flesh tore, the veil tore. Uh, and Hebrews ten nineteen 19 to uh, 20, let's read that together, 10, 19 to 20. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. So because the, his, body tore, the veil tore, therefore a way, a road was paid for sinners to go before the holy God, that sinners can see the face of the holy God, that we can be made one, now there are a lot of uh, historians, archaeologists, theologians talking about the veil, um, that tore, that veil is not like curtain in your homes, you know, your curtains can be, can be ripped, but imagine your thick carpet hanging on the wall like a veil it's impossible to tear the carpet because the carpet is very thick and, and the, t- the veil in the temple is described to be as thick as um, some kind of, some thick carpet upholstery. So it is impossible for anyone to just rip it. But it happened and historians uh, or the Bible writers talk about it and historically it, uh, people uh, testify to it. Uh, and that's because the veil, uh, the temple himself died the flesh tore, and the, the way to God from earth, from sinners, was made, so we can now go to the Father's house, we can now go to, uh, to Jesus, to God, to be one with him, so the veil in the temple symbolized, oh, I'm sorry, the veil in the temple symbolized the body of Jesus, the torn veil is the, uh, is, represents Jesus making a way to true heaven, okay, so, just gonna go back. I just can't help but drawing this thing here. So when um Jesus died at the cross, if you remember, right, the Spirit of God was hovering, the everlasting chains, uh, the gloomy dungeons, guarding the second heaven, so no one can go there, right? Not only that, I mean not only the fact that the distance itself, physical distance itself is huge. It's mammoth, but also spiritually, we can't go because of the spirit, spirit of God and the chains uh, locking in the spiritual um, uh, beings that are here. But when Jesus died, not only did the temple of Jerusalem tore, but He actually made a way. He tore. He actually tore part of the second heaven, so we can actually go there. So He created a route for us to go to the Father, into the spiritual heaven, into the true heaven. So when the temple here tore, that tore. He broke the yes, he broke the curtain, not the temple. Yes, he broke the, he broke the temple. He broke the t- tail, but the temple did t- tear. I'm reading about the temples. So I'm getting all mixed up. But anyway, so the, the, the curtain tore, and his flesh tore, and the everlasting chain broke. Right? So now only those who have the blood of Jesus can then go through this opening that Jesus described as, I am the gate of sheep in John 10, 7 to 9. I am the gate of sheep. Sheep come in and out. Right? So we believers, the children of God, can now go out. To the true heaven hallelujah that's what jesus did that's what jesus accomplished when jesus said it is finished so he didn't tear this down but uh he didn't uh did make this disappear rather but when he died opening was made an opening just enough for believers can es- to escape this space to go to paradise because if you think about it even though we say well if i die tonight i'm gonna go to paradise how are we gonna go to paradise it's so far away Right? 28 billion light-years away. Do you ever imagine? We don't even go to Mars. Because Mars is like a year and a half away from here. 500 days away from here, Mars. So they haven't even have, we haven't had a space shuttle or uh, astronauts going to Mars. And Mars is just in the solar system. Not even in the Milky Way, but solar system. We can't even go to the another planet. So how are you going to go out here? Once we are out of the flesh, then we are in spiritual bodies that can transcend space and time. But we would not have gone, been able to go, unless Jesus made a way. But because Jesus made a way, by the confidence we gain through the blood of Jesus, we can go to the true heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. So we don't, have, we don't need a space shuttle. We don't need some, some technology or science to bring us there. It is by the blood of Jesus that is, a, that is the way. That's what we say, Jesus, one way. He is the way. To the father hallelujah Amen. so when jesus destroyed this temple and he actually tore the veil and the temple did tear uh tore, tore down uh, was torn down uh, with titus later on and burned the entire city up into ashes and people were destroyed and buildings were destroyed and the temple was destroyed but when jesus was speaking about the temple yes he was talking about the temple itself but his body mainly um when he said that he meant Once once, uh, his death and his resurrection is completed, then there is no more need for sacrifice. We don't need to make atonement, kill animals, and make atonement for our sins year after year. We don't need to do that. There is no more need for sacrifice. There is no more need for priests. There is no more need for the temple. That's why tear down the temple, destroy the temple. We don't need it anymore. Because all of those things, all the three elements to the sacrifice, right? The temple... The priest, the offerings, all these three things existed because of the sins of men. We had to do this over and over again, and they were just copies in the Old Testament to be completed by Jesus, who would come in the New Testament. Um, And when he died and said, it is finished, there is no more need for any of those elements because we don't need sacrifice anymore. Jesus did it once for all. Let's go to Hebrews we read the 9, 11 to 12, we read that before, uh, which says, I'm sorry, Hebrews 9, 11 to 12, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption, hallelujah, he went as a high priest, his body as the temple, he, as, and he as the high priest, and his blood as the best, the perfect offering, sacrifice to the Father. So he was able to enter the spiritual heaven, the true tabernacle, the true sanctuary, with his blood. Because nothing, nothing, no blood, no matter how much, how long, no blood of animals, no blood of man can go to God. God is not pleased by that. Only the blood of God, only God himself can satisfy him. You understand? Only God himself can satisfy God, and that's Jesus, because Jesus is God. His blood is God's blood. Only when the blood of God was given, then the sanctuary was made whole. It was sanctified. The heavenly sanctuary was cleansed. Cleansed. All right. Second, Jesus Christ is the eternal high priest. Hebrews 9, 24 to 25, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. So the, uh, the sanctuary that Jesus entered by giving his blood as sacrifice he himself as the high priest is was not the temple of Jerusalem but was the heavenly sanctuary the heavenly tabernacle the spiritual heaven that the father prepared for him and the way he did it was with with his own blood the precious blood of Jesus the precious blood of God which is different from the high priest go to 7 chapter 7 verses 23 to 28 Now there have been many of those priests, since death prevented them from continuing in in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then the sins of the people. He Sacrifice for their sins once for all when he offered himself for the law appoints as high priests men who are weak but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever so there the comparison is made with the priests, the man priests, uh, and jesus uh, the high priest uh, that he is he lives forever he does not die and he does not need to make atonement for his sins because he has no sin he knows no sin While uh, the men priests, they had to make atonement for themselves, and they died. They died. So they would no longer be able to continue their office, their service. They could no longer be witnesses to sinners' uh, forgiveness. And they were weak, therefore. But the Son of God, uh, that God, uh, the Father appointed to be the high priest from the beginning, is perfect. He lives forever. He is from the beginning. He was the word with the Father in the beginning. When it was time, He came as man. But His even though he came as man, his flesh is spirit, his blood is spirit. His, his, his blood, because it's spirit, it's eternal. So its effect is eternal. Therefore, it makes him as a high priest, eternal high priest. Okay, go to 1 John um, chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. two. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, for all sins, not just believers. For all men's sins, Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice. And that's what redemption means. Redemption is done for all men, God doing it unilaterally. Not two-way, but one way. God decided to do it on his own, and this is the grace of God. He decided to redeem the sins of men. Whether they wanted it or not, whether they knew it or not, it was done. It was done according to his will. And he is the atoning sacrifice that died in place of sinners. And because he did it, he did it with his blood, and he did it uh, perfectly. He gave his own blood. No man had ever given his own blood to, to make sacrifice. Yet uh, even, if he, even if he did so, uh, that blood would be sinner's blood. But the blood of Jesus is not sinner's blood, it is God's blood. So with that, he gave the best offering as the high priest, as the high priest. So he is seated on the throne as the Lamb of God, and as the Lamb of God, he still holds scars, scars uh, on his body. And they testify that his redemption is eternal, as his scars are eternal. His blood is eternal, his body is eternal, his scars are also eternal. Therefore, the redemption that he accomplished through those scars, the blood that came out of those scars, is also eternal. So we no longer need to do, uh, make atonement for our sins. Thirdly, the body of Christ, Jesus Christ, is eternal sacrifice. So Hebrew 9.12 says he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. I've already uh, mentioned this. Uh, And let's go to 10.10 to 14 and 17. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since the time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Verse 17 then he adds, Their sins and lawless act I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. So when Jesus died by the blood that he shed, he redeemed uh, forever, forever, not just for a year, not for 10 years, but forever, sins of all men. Sins of all men, all sins of mankind. So when he died, he died with the original sin. He died with the self-committed sins of men. He also died with the desires of sin, sins of desire. So all those sins were absorbed unto the body of Jesus. And by shedding his blood, he redeemed their sins. So he paid the price of their sins, all our sins, not theirs, our sins, my sins. So when when we receive the blood of Jesus that he shed, we say, Amen, That redeeming blood, I am forgiven. So when he sees, when God sees my blood in my, the, his blood in my soul, he does not remember. As I said, he, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. So when he sees uh, the blood of Jesus in us, then God will remember no more our lawless deeds our uh, wickedness, our sins. So no more sins, no more lawless acts. Uh, lawlessness would be remembered once the blood of Jesus is there. So just as the Passover blood uh, enabled the Spirit of God to pass over, once the blood is there, pass over, then they don't have to die when the blood of Jesus is in us. God remembers no more. Is this possible? Do you believe that? That God remembers no more. Don't think of God as yourself because you say, I'm not going to remember my brother's sin because I forgave him at the retreat. I'm not going to remember him. And then he steps on your foot and you go, you did that to me. Remember 10 years ago? You did the same thing at 10 o'clock Tuesday on July seventeenth, 19, I don't know, 27, whatever. So we say, I'm not going to remember anymore. I'm not going to remember anymore. And then they say something, I remember what you did to me. I remember what you said. It's just impossible for us because we cannot forget Uh, we forget the things we should, we shouldn't, and we remember things we shouldn't, right? So when we say we forgive, we should forget about all that stuff, but we can't because we're not God. And we should remember things uh, that we should, but we end up forgetting them, like stuff to do today, stuff to take care of today, we forget. You know, it's just our inabilities. We are incompetent. We are unable. But God is almighty. When he says, I will remember no more he means it. He will remember no more. Hallelujah. That is the power of the redeeming blood of Jesus. He redeemed, he redeemed our sins. His blood, that one, one drop of blood, you know when you have a science experiment, I forget the whole chemistry thing, you, you drop, and then the whole paper turns like white. Right? The red or white, the, you drop, there's a red ink, but you add something to it, and then you bleach, you add bleach to it, and then everything gets whoosh, all white. That's what happens with the blood of Jesus in our souls. When the blood of Jesus falls in our souls, in our spirit, then it washes, and God remembers no more. That is the power of the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah! Amazing is his blood. So even though Jesus could have avoided his death, he could have called on angels, he himself walked on water and raised the dead. Why couldn't he have helped himself uh, when he came for his arrest? It was because his job, his mission of coming as man was doing the father's will, but part of it was to redeem men, redeem the sins of men. So when he was arrested, he was, he was led away like a sheep to its slaughter. You know, when a sheep is led, not like dogs, dogs, when they are getting killed, they scream, I don't know if you know about that. But anyway, I, I just heard. So when, when dogs are killed, they, are, they scream, the whole neighbors hear. Like, I heard that many years ago uh, when Koreans, uh, Korean immigrants came and they, made, um, you know, they opened up stores and they made a lot of money and uh, they bought mansions in Long Island. I don't know, Long Island Express 56, whatever, Exit 56, Exit 7, whatever. They bought all those Hampton homes, whatever. And then they said, well, let's have a party. Why don't we have some dog soup? Yeah, we miss some dog soup. You have a dog? Hey, you have a dog. Let's kill the dog. So then they were having a dog party, and they were beating the, out of the dog, and I don't know why they do that, but they tend, tenderize the meat. But the dog was screaming on top of its lung, and the neighbors called the cops. And yeah, shame on those ugly Koreans. That's what happened, yeah. So you don't do that in Long Island. You don't do that in New Jersey either. So dogs make a lot of noise when they die, and I heard that... Um, Cows, when they die, you know, cows, they, they're brought to slaughter um, uh house, they actually cry. They have tears dropping when uh, I doubt their emotion is like ours, but they know when they're going to die. So when they're led to the slaughterhouse, when they're about to get killed, when they're hammered, they cry. You know They don't make a lot of noise, but they cry. But sheep are different. They don't do anything. They quietly die. And amazing. Even animals make noise and they cry or they weep, they scream. But lamb, sheep, they don't. And Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to die as a torning sacrifice for us. Not only that, he didn't make a peep. When he was dying such painful death, he didn't make any sound, any noise. All he did was to say those words to fulfill. He never complained, he never resented, he never regretted, he never feared. But with such divine power, he faced death, even though he was man, 100%. But only because he is God, who is man, he was able to face death with such, I don't want to say dignity, because we say that about men dying with dignity. But Jesus, it was his destiny. This was the mission that he came to do. So he accepted his death, and he was led away like a silent sheep to its slaughterer and he did not defend himself, because his coming was to die. His coming was to redeem the sins of men through his death, and that was what was accomplished. Even though he knows no sin, he became sin for us. Um, that's what the Bible says. He is the lamb of God. He is the word that became flesh. He is the eternal uh, the life that is in God that became flesh, and Even so, he became a ransom for sinners. He became the sacrifice who dies on behalf of sinners. He died instead of sinners. He died in place where I should have died. And when he did, he did it silently, silently. He faced death. And this is very, very important for us, that Jesus died silently. Because he died silently, we are no longer silent. We can't be silent. But more on that... um, Later, the blood of Jesus that purified the heavenly sanctuary uh, was the holy blood of God. So with his blood, he sprinkled the heavenly sanctuary that was defiled by um, Lucy, uh, Lucifer when he sinned. So I said before, the things that we need to redeem for our sinners, men, but also the sanctuary had to be redeemed. They had to sprinkle the, blood, the sanctuary with the animal's blood. This signals... The fact that the sanctuary, which is considered a holy place, was not holy, was not clean. It had to be cleansed by blood. This is all shadow of what Jesus would do about the heavenly sanctuary. How can the heavenly sanctuary, heaven, not be holy? Why is it not clean? It's because of Lucifer. Angels sinned there. So it was defiled. It was unclean. And God waited for this moment of judgment when Jesus, His son, would die. And when he died with his blood, he sprinkled He sprinkled it in the heavenly sanctuary so that it would become cleansed, it would be sanctified, it would be holy, it would be made perfect. That's what Jesus did with His blood. Amen. So He made atonement for not just sinners of men, but uh, sins of men, but the heavenly sanctuary was also redeemed was made atonement for. And when you think about that, like I said, God uh, God satisfied, God is satisfied on his own. You know, this concept that he alone, uh, he has no need, uh, he is holy, he is self-existing, he is the, uh, the, the ruler, the only ruler, this, it, it is his attribute, and it, it tells you about his will. No man, no animal, no silver or gold is good enough for God, right? Nothing in the world is good enough for God, nothing, nothing. He could be a perfect person and perfect animal, but nothing can impress God, nothing can move God. Only Jesus, his son, who came from him, who is God, can impress him, can worship him, can offer up to him. God only receives the best. The best, the most precious, the holy, and the holy, the most precious, the best comes from himself. Do you understand? The fact that Jesus, the son, shed his blood to sanctify uh, the heavenly place and satisfy the father, glorify the father. I'm just using the word satisfaction, but glorify the father, glorifying the father. That's the will of God because God is glorified not by anyone else, anything else, only by his son, only by God himself, God himself. See, that's how he is. That's how great he is, how holy he is. So he sent his son to do this. And when Jesus died at the cross, he said, it is finished. That's what he came to do. Let's talk about the effect of redemption, G. One, the effect reaches to all men or all mankind. And we'll go to Romans 5, 17 to 19. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For justice through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So in this passage, there is uh, the one man and then there is the one man. All right, so the one man and the one man. It's the same one man, one man, one man. But that one man uh, is not talking about one man, it's actually talking about two men, right? Two there are two so the first one man is the first Adam all right so the trespass of the one man this original sin of the first Adam okay so at the end it says just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners so through one man the first Adam all men were made sinners so also through the obedience of the one man who is that one man Jesus, the last Adam, many will be made righteous. How perfect is that, right? So that's why uh, in First Corinthians 15, the first man, the last man, the second man, uh, the last, uh, first Adam, last Adam. The heavenly man, the earthly man, all that distinction is made. So um, through the first Adam... Sin entered all men. I talked about that last week, how sin is transmitted. The original sin is passed down to all men. So the first Adam sinned, and that sin entered all men. Therefore, the price of sin passed down to all men through that one man. In such a way, the effect of the last Adam, even though one man died, would reach all men. Because he came as the last Adam. That's why it's important for us to understand the relationship between the first Adam and the last Adam. Why Jesus is called the last Adam. The fact that he came in flesh and the work that he did in flesh has an effect. It reaches all men. Just as the first Adam's sin and his uh, uh, result of his sin reaches all men, the last Adam, what he did through his obedience, would then reach all men as well. Okay? So... When Jesus, the last Adam, died at the cross, all men who belonged to the first Adam, we came from first Adam, all of us have father, the first Adam. When Jesus, the last Adam, died at the cross, he, uh, all who belonged to the first Adam were all redeemed. They were all redeemed. Not all of them are forgiven, not all of them are saved, but all of them are redeemed. Okay, that we need to distinguish the two, redemption and forgiveness, right? When one receives this fact, and this is true, I believe it. Jesus is the last Adam. He's got nothing to do with Adam's sin. He has, he's not like me. He's God. Even though he's God, he came as man. He died, and his blood is precious holy blood of God that cleanses me from sin. All uh, transgressions, iniquities are redeemed. I believe it. Amen. I welcome him. Welcome all that. That believing, that confession brings me to forgiveness. Right. So redemption Um, is redemption here about 2,000 years ago. We always say 2,000 years, but I think it's more than 2,000 now. But 2,000 plus years ago. So from now, right? So when I believe, I am forgiven. When I believe. Forgiven. The moment now. I'm forgiven. But redemption was done by Jesus 2,000 years ago without me knowing, and I wasn't even around. But he did it. But when I believe, the moment I believe, I say he redeemed for all men, the all men who belong to the first Adam, and all men do. Every man belongs to the first Adam. We are all part of first Adam initially. We're all part of it. When Jesus died as the last Adam, his blood had effect on all those who belong to the first Adam. Okay. So then the question of how can he, one man, have impact on this other? So we can explain about that, but we have to go in detail, more in detail about the first Adam and the last Adam, the connection between the two. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to two, 22 and 45 to 47. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. 45, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. So uh, we understand the flesh of Jesus and our flesh share uh, some things together. Okay, We have to understand first, his 100% man. So his humanity is our humanity, which means we have birth, we have death. He has birth, and he has death. We are born, we die. He, he was born, and he dies. He died, right? So birth and death are shared with our flesh and the flesh of Jesus. However, the nature or the substance of my flesh and the substance or the nature of the flesh of Jesus are different. We are completely different in terms of our nature. But our characteristics, the, some of the functions, are the, the functions are the same. That's why Jesus came as man, for the function of death. But the status or the substance or the nature um, is completely different. So the verse 45, uh, the verses that, um, that we read, 45 to 47, I turned it into tables so it's, um, we can make the comparison easier. So the first Adam and the last Adam, the second man, not the second adam be careful not to say second adam because i i slipped and then somebody in poland said no we don't no 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 we were having an argument i was like what are you talking I go, oh i meant to say the last adam and the second man but i said the, the second adam uh second adam is wrong because second adam means there's a third adam fourth adam right so second man is fine because that's what the bible says the first man and the second man comparing the two but we there is no more adam after that first and the last Uh, The first man is living being, uh, living spirit, made in Genesis 2, 7. The last Adam uh, is the life-giving spirit. So the uh, living spirit or living being has a function to live, but the difference is it needs to live by the life-giving spirit. Life-giving spirit gives life. Jesus gives life. The last Adam gives life. The other has function to live, but it has to be given life for it to live. Okay. Um, So the first Adam um, emerges from the flesh, a spirit that has flesh. So as soon as the flesh is formed, the spirit is already inherited. So we talked about mother uh, having a baby inside mother's body. And when the flesh is pretty much formed, it has spirit already. So when you cast out demons, sometimes there's baby demons, right, baby demons, uh, because they have spirit. Uh, But the flesh of Jesus or his blood are not of dust, but uh, our spirit. His flesh is spirit, his blood is spirit. Therefore, his flesh is life, his blood is life. And the last Adam, uh, the first Adam comes, is of the earth. He is earthly man, his natural man, while the last Adam is the spiritual man, the heavenly man. From heaven, he is of spirit. So in the eyes of God, how many Adams are there in the world? There are seven billion people on Earth. How many atoms are on Earth? One. So one, there's only one last um, I'm sorry, one first atom, so with the one tree, one big tree. And then I'm going to draw this a little bit later in the last stage. But there's the last atom, Jesus. Um, everyone belongs, and we have many, many branches. Um, and when Jesus died, uh, his death could have eternal redemption for all men because it's one for one. Okay? He didn't die for every one of them. One, seven billions died and, died and died. He just died once, right, once to care of all because everyone belongs to uh, the first Adam, okay? Christians, you and I, used to belong to the first Adam. We, all, we were branches belonging to the first Adam. Okay, but uh, we accepted the blood of Jesus. The last Adam is the blood of Jesus. So the last Adam, you have to think of the last Adam as his flesh, his blood. His blood, his flesh is the last Adam. Okay, so we received his blood. So what we have to do is we have to uh, kind of cut off. We have to be cut off from the first Adam and then be grafted on to the last atom. Do you know what I'm trying to say, right? So when you grow on plants, uh, you can, you can kind of cross-breed flowers, right? So you can cut off a branch from apple tree and you can stick it to a cherry tree. And you bind it with dirt or whatever, uh, tape, or some twine, and then it sticks because the sap, the juice from the branch or the tree, get, they get stuck together and then... They kind of get mixed together, and they live. The branch lives. So um, what we need to do is individually by believing, accepting, we cut off our ties to the... Two and one. one. You're in trouble. Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) No, he generously donated these markers. No good for nothing markers. Okay, so he's... (laughs) So you have to be cut off, and you have to... um, there we go. It's the black one. Okay. So individually, we have to cut off from the first atom and be attached to the last atom. Of course, I'm going to go over the part, the fact that as long as we live, we're still part of the first atom. But that's coming in the last stage. I'm going to talk about that later. But for now, I, wanna, I want underst- us to understand that when we believe, we individually confess our faith. And with our bodies, we confess and we go into the water. And that's when we cut off the first atom, our ties to the first atom, We cut off our unity, union with the first Adam, and we unite with Christ when we come up the water. And that's this part. We are now, um, this, this this means cut off, and this is kind of bonded, right? Like a bandage. And who holds us together? It's the Holy Spirit. There you go, okay? So Christians once belonged to the first Adam, but they have been grafted onto the last Adam. You know, like Bob tells me about surgery sometimes, uh, when people get burned or have scars, they, ha- they cut the skin from the thigh, and then they put it up on the face. They graft it. They take the skin, they cut it really thin, and then they put it on the face, and then they sew it, and it grows. Like that, grafting, right? So grafting onto the last atom, and then we are born again. Born again. So we were born first through the first atom, and then second again through the last atom, His blood. Okay. But I'm going to continue this story later on. Like I said, it's not a done deal. If it were a done deal, we don't need to be here tonight. But the reason why we have to be here is because we are still attached to this guy as long as our flesh is alive. All right. Number three, the relationship between the living being and the life-giving being. So in Hebrew, Adam means living spirit, living being, spiritual being that lives in the flesh. So we don't call angels living being or God a living being. Only man is living being because man is living two uh, beings, spiritual, the flesh, all at the same time, okay? But the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. He is from heaven, therefore he has nothing to do with dust, we are of dust. So when the spirit leaves the body, the body goes back to dust where it came from. So the water comes out of the dust, and then dust goes back to, goes back to dust. But Jesus has no dust, no water, nothing like that. He is spirit. His body is spirit. So um, the first Adam receives life from the last Adam, and it lives. Because okay, so the first Adam needs to live by the life given by the last Adam, the life-giving um, spirit now when you ask a question about the soul the person and the flesh you can ask the question what about jesus did he have person did he have soul um his he had soul uh in luke 2 40 it says the child grew and became strong and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of god was upon him describing jesus his uh development so his wisdom his knowledge grew he became strong So Jesus went through developmental stage of developing his person, right? So then you may think, well, does he have blood type? Is he blood B? He doesn't have blood type because blood type comes from dust, right? Our our blood, animals' blood, dust, we're all the same. But his blood, uh, his body is spirit. So he doesn't have uh, the dust part, but he has the person and he has the spirit, and his spirit is his body. Are you understanding? It's the same stuff, but I'm just kind of turning it around. Why are you looking at me like... It's not... You understand, right? We have three parts. The flesh, the spirit, and the person. But Jesus has no dust that's from... The flesh that's from dust. His flesh is spirit. Okay? And on top of that, he has person. So, uh, uh, after Jesus died in Luke 23, uh, 43 and 24, verse 39, it says, his, his soul went to paradise. After he died, his body remained in the tomb, but his soul went to paradise. And in three days, that flesh rose, his flesh. Why did it rise? Because it cannot perish. His flesh is not like ours. In three days, if we die, we will turn into rotten meat, like maggots and worms and flies, and it will be disgusting. But his flesh did not decay because his flesh is spirit, his spirit. So for three days, briefly, he was dead. And then he rose, same body. So his flesh is spirit, not material. His flesh, therefore, resurrected. Let's talk about deity and humanity of Jesus, number four. So deity of Jesus and humanity. We need to have a clear concept of who Jesus is in terms of his nature. He is 100% God. That's deity, deity, or godhead, his, his god, the divine. Um, and he is 100% man, and nobody is like him. You can't say he is 50% god and 50% man, then you have, what do you have? <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, what do we have? Right, okay, what do we have? Then you have mermaid, right? Mermaid, merman, Ariel, you know, merman, 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 mermaid. So you have human and fish on the bottom. Jesus is not half God and half man, right? He is 100% God and 100% man, all at the same time. He's the only one. He's the only one. He's the only one. And therefore, it makes him the mediator between God and man. So he is the only mediator, the man Jesus, the man Jesus, right? His man, his, Jesus, his God at the same time. So the, uh, even though he was born of a woman who was human, and he lived like human, he ate, he drank milk, he had to walk, he had to go to the bathroom, uh, he had to sleep, he had to exercise, he had to do all that, he had to work, and he died, which made him man, Because his God, however, he rose from the dead in three days. Okay, so even in the eyes of man, he lived his life life like a a man. He proved his resurrection, validated the fact that he is God. So he is the son of God who was born of a virgin. But the fact that he walked, ate and slept and died, suffered and died, shows us his humanity, his uh, humanness. But again, his because you can say then, well, if Jesus was hungry and he had to eat, and if he was tired, he slept, but what about lust, right? Because that's what we have. Our flesh has lust. We want to do stuff for the flesh. Does he have lust? Did Jesus go, you're not a woman, you're not a man, you're not a man, you're just an animal. You know, he, he didn't look at a woman and go, you're not a woman, you're not a woman. He didn't do that. The Buddhists, they have to go up there, you, you're not a woman, they come down. Right? So Jesus didn't do that. He didn't meditate. He didn't beat his body. He said, no one. He didn't do that because he is God. Uh, why is it that he didn't have that temptation? Because his uh, flesh is not from dust. Right? We are from dust. Dogs are from dust. Pigs are from dust. So they act like dogs. They act like pigs. But if we are humans, now we are educated and we're civilized. We don't act like dogs or pigs. But when we are out of control, we can act like a pig and we can act like a dog because we all come from the same dust. Do you understand, right? That's what we're called manimals. Animals, manimals. We're animals.? right? If you, if you don't behave, then you act like an animal, manimal, okay? But if you behave, then you're man. But we are like shifting both, right? But Jesus is not. He's not. His, dust, his flesh doesn't come from uh, dust. Therefore, his person, intelligence, emotion, free will, does not come from dust. We do. That's why we have sins of desire. Our minds sin. Our emotions also sin. Our free will is misguided. We use uh, incorrectly and we sin. But Jesus, because his flesh is spirit from heaven, his person is also from spirit from heaven. Therefore... He knows no lust, no sin. Amen? 100%. You have to be sure and confident of this. If you have any doubt, then come see me because we're in trouble. But you have to make sure you don't doubt at all so that you can communicate the perfect uh, deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, when Jesus was born and Mary, he did not inherit or mix anything with her blood or substance. Deuteronomy 22 verse 9 says, Do not plant two kinds of seed, in your vineyard. You know, when you look at Deuteronomy, he's like, why is Jesus talking about planting? It's like a farming manual. Don't plant two different seeds in one field. It is about Jesus. He did not inherit half from Mary and half from God. Okay? He is 100% God. He, He inherited nothing from Mary. The flesh of man and the flesh of Jesus, the flesh of man is material and is dust. The flesh of Jesus is spirit. The flesh of man is, inside of the flesh is the spirit. That's the first Adam that has to be given life. The flesh of Jesus itself is the life-giving spirit. The flesh of man is, of the earth is the natural. The flesh of Jesus is the spiritual from heaven. You saw this before, previously. And the flesh, flesh of man is a shell that perishes. The flesh of Jesus, it has no shell. This is shell, right? When spirit leaves, our shell dies. But Jesus has no shell because he doesn't have flesh of dust. Okay, his flesh is spirit. So the flesh of man, uh, again, the spirit inside of the flesh is Adam. The flesh of Jesus itself is the last Adam. It's Adam. So if you uh, recall from Logos, uh, do you remember that? This drawing, right? Right, so this is man. And this is Jesus. Our flesh is down here. Our spirit is up here. And his flesh, Jesus' flesh, and our spirit on the same level. Do you remember this? Yeah? His flesh, because it's spirit, it's at the same level. He doesn't have this part that's of dust. Okay? There's no more. There's nothing there. His body is same as our spirit, on the same level, if you will, like to compare. Okay, so that's what uh, this is about. So when Mary said, "How can this be? I don't know, man. I I've never slept with the guy. I'm I'm virgin." Uh, then the uh, and the angel said, "The one who will be born, uh, who you will conceive, is, uh, is the Son of God." And Jesus uh, and Mary said, "Amen." Beat unto me according to your word, as you say. I will I will receive my providence. She said, "Amen." Right when she said, "Amen." The seed of the word fell. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says the seed, and that is the word, the uh, eternal, the everlasting word of God. Right? So the word fell into Mary's body, and the word is, uh, is, is spirit, and uh, is, is God. So that word, as the seed fell into the body of, uh, of Mary to grow, and Jesus was conceived. Okay, so uh, we don't have time, so I don't have time to go through, but the woman's body has function to, to receive seed, right? So you have something called artificial insemination, uh, I've, uh, in vitro fertilization, or surrogacy. Women can grow other people's babies in their bodies because this is the amazing thing about the puck, the thingy that we have here, the, the, the space, right? We can bear our own children, but uh, our babies, but someone else's babies I can have. Because my body functions that way. And God made us that way perfectly so that Jesus can come through the woman's body so he can come as the offspring of the woman. Hallelujah. How perfect is God's design? You know, the more you know about the human body, the more you think about the Creator because it works perfectly. What it does, it's designed to do what it does. And God made it that way for Jesus to be conceived in Mary's body and not inherit anything from Mary. Do you understand? Jesus inherited zero, nothing from Mary. Amen? Amen. Because Mary is a sinner. She needs, to be, she needs to be forgiven and be saved. But Jesus has no sin, knows no sin because he is God. The seed fell on the soil, did not change. The soil did not change the seed, but the seed grew, right? The soil just is an environment. If you sow um, grape seeds here, you have grape vines. If you sow grape seeds in Israel, you have grape vines. Maybe the taste is a little bit different, but they don't change genetically. It's the same thing. The soil is just an environment. It does not change anything, alter anything of the seed, and that's what Mary's uh, body uh, did. So the substance of Jesus is God. He is, by nature, God. That's why Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8, uh, his very nature God. Jesus is the very nature God who is equal to God, but he humbled himself, lowered himself in the image, uh, in the image of man, in the image of servant. He came. He humbly uh, took the cross and died. His substance, however, is God. Now, the very last point that I want to make in this section is about religion. Christianity is not a religion. You can call it brainwash. I've been saying this so many times, and I hear it so many times, and it's my faith now. When I hear people say, yeah, a religion like Christian, I go, Ew. I cringe a little bit because I go, no, Christianity is not a religion. You know, it's, like, it's in my brain and my blood. It's like... It's like, somebody says, you know, newcomer gives testimony, well, you know, we have different religions, and, you know, I was Christian, and my religion, it's like, no, it's like, no, because it's just so part of me, so Christianity is not a religion, it's not a religion, Um, and two two big reasons, uh, or two aspects to that is first, uh, all religions are based on retribution, okay, and retribution means you get what you deserve, okay, you live evil, you get evil. you live as good man you become you are you are blessed with goodness good with good, evil with evil okay so uh evil uh, if you do evil, you are punished uh, with evil if you are good, you do good you're rewarded with good okay so uh, this is what religions are. And most people think that. They think that if they do good and they do good to others, then they'll go somewhere good. Okay? And if God is real, then he will reward them with goodness, with good things. Um, and because religions have this common notion of retribution, they think that they are pursuing different routes up to one summit to the top. we have one t- top destination, everybody's coming to a different way, right, so there's the truth, they call it the truth, that there's a truth, one truth, there, then there's some people who say many truths, but uh, major religions say there's one truth, and there are different ways to get to that, that's what religions say. All right, so you can, you can go as Buddhist, you can go as Muslim, you can go as Christian, you can go as Catholic, you can go as Jew. Everybody will arrive at one point. These religions include uh, organized religions as well as unorganized, like shamanism, like Koreans, they believe in shaman, or uh, polytheism, or paganism. All these ideas originate from men. So men think God likes... Uh, or godly beings like a bowl of water, right? So the Koreans in the old culture and Mongols, did you know the Mongolians, they do the same thing. Mongolians have shaman, shamanism, and because uh, Koreans come, majority of them come from Mongols. And um, they uh, have a bowl of water, a bowl of water for the spirits to come and drink because they believe that's what they like and they will not harm them if they bring water. Or if they bring a pig's head or if they give human sacrifice they think that god will be happy so they find their way and as i was talking as i said before you know men think that of vowing to silence or celibacy to live in a monastery or to live in the temple and be holy and meditate and all this stuff that god's gonna like so they think they find their own ways to god but that's not what christianity is now among the uh, religions there's judaism jewish uh, faith compared to all the other other religions um Yes, it does believe in retribution, but there's atonement, right? Because animals died for sinners. So Judaism is sort of superior to all the other religions. All the other religions says, you're a sinner, you die. You deserve to die, right? If you're not a sinner, you're righteous by your deeds, you go to heaven. So it's one or the other. But Judaism has the idea of atonement, animal sacrifice. Uh, The sacrifice can redeem your sins. However, it's not perfect or uh, forever. But Christianity, number two, only Christianity has God's redemption. Because God God, God died for men, he redeemed by his grace. So Christianity is not a religion, but it's a faith by grace. Christianity is a faith by grace. or revelation. So that's what Christianity is. We have revelation of God, we have grace of God. He revealed himself first, he gave first. He made a way first, because he wants to. So we don't don't go to heaven by our deeds, our righteousness. We don't go there by being good, but we go there by the blood of Jesus. We believe in the redemption of Jesus. Amen? So this is why religious people look at Christians as being selfish, And it just makes no sense. You know, look at those wretches. They're like, look at that man. He's a wretch. All his life, all he'd done is evil stuff. He never even meditated. He ate pork. He ate all kinds of stuff. He did all the horrible stuff. By believing Jesus, he cries, and then he says, I'm saved. So to super, super religious people, this is unacceptable. But it is, because that's what God says is faith. This is faith that leads to salvation, faith that brings to forgiveness. This is the faith by grace. Amen? That's what Christianity is. So ultimately, when you have to argue uh, with, not argue, but debate with uh, religious people, you have to bring in God's redemption. Everyone says, look at him, Mother Teresa, look at her. Mother Teresa was so good. She helped the poor and all the orphanages that she visited, she helped. Look at her. She should have gone to heaven. That's what you think. But that's not what God thinks. God says that's not how you go to heaven by helping the poor, feeding the hungry. You go to heaven by believing in Jesus, that he is the Savior, the only Redeemer. His blood is the blood that cleanses you from sin, from death, from the devil, from hell. Hallelujah. That's the only righteousness that we have, not our deeds. So this is the difference. Huge, stark difference between Christianity and religion. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says God made him who has no sin to be sinned for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in Romans 5, it says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly die, dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you think about men, when they they can say, I die for someone else, who do you die for? You die for somebody greater than you. So soldiers went out and died for the king, the queen. They die for somebody who's more honorable than them. But here is God coming, dying for sinners like you and me. When we are still sinners and unworthy, and we are unworthy. You know, when we talked about the universe, we're not even a dot. We're not even a dot. And when we think about our lives, we are wicked sinners. We are wicked wretch. Wretch is me. I'm a wretch. But while I was a wretch, while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. How can that be? I don't deserve it. This is undeserving. Undeserving people like me, undeserving sinner like me can have the blood of God. How can this be? This is amazing grace. The redemption of Christ is the amazing grace of God. It is by his grace that we have been redeemed through his blood by our faith. We believe in the blood of Jesus, and therefore we have been forgiven. This is by his grace. God showed us how worthless we are when he drowned the whole world at the time of Noah. Only eight people remained, and the entire earth drowned, and God did not weep. He doesn't care if eight million people die, billions of people die. He doesn't care because God is perfect, and he is satisfied on his own. We are nothing. We are only a vapor, here like a fog, in the morning and gone tomorrow. Yet for sinner, on top of that, we are sinners. All we have done is thought sin and breathed sin, breathed out sin. And all we have said was sin. All we have done with our hands is sin. And even as Christians today, we sin. We still sin. We struggle with sin. Our struggle against sin will be our lifetime forever until we die. But for sinners like us, God sent his son to die righteous one and when we believe that he is the righteousness the only righteousness then he justifies us those who believe that he is righteous the righteousness of god are justified by their faith this is possible because jesus died and shed his redeeming blood for us no one can go to hell for anyone else and you've heard me say my a lot of youth group kids get surprised when i say this i love my daughter very much and they get so surprised like and pastor said, she cannot go to hell for her daughter. I can't. I love my daughter, and I can die for her, I think. If she needs my heart, I think I will give it to her because I love her. And I can give her my eyes. If, if she needs my kidney, I'll give her my kidney, whatever she needs. But I can't go to hell for her. I can't. Every man for himself, we can't go to hell. We have no idea what hell is like. And the taste, the death that Jesus tasted for everyone at the cross, it was the taste of. Hell, spiritual death, the death that we had to die, the death that we had to pay for our own sins and Adam's sin, he tasted for all of us so we don't have to go. We don't have to die. We don't have to go to hell. Jesus did it for us. God did it for us. Isn't this amazing? Doesn't this move you? Doesn't this make you want to give thanks all the days of your life? No matter how difficult your life gets, grace never changes. Nothing, no matter how difficult your life is today, the fact that God redeemed for you never changes. His redemption was done once for all, and nothing changes that. His amazing grace that saved me, a wretch like me that he saved from the fire of hell, from sin and death, nothing changes. Whether I have a job or not, whether my prayers are answered or not, whether I'm sick or healed, it does not change the fact that God died in my place. Therefore, my gratitude, my thanksgiving shouldn't change. Nothing should change my heart from giving thanks to him. And because he died silently, we have to open up our mouth and break the silence. We have to choose to break the silence and testify that Jesus is the innocent one. He alone is the righteous one. He is the righteous God himself. We, have, we owe him. We owe him our tongue. We owe him our, 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 our words, our speech, our lips. We need to open up our lips and testify that Jesus is the only innocent one. He is God. He is the redeemer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let us all pray. The fact that the creator who made all things, stepped into the created world and became a man and died in my place, in your place, is amazing grace. The fact that he died in my place, not because I wanted him to, not because I asked for it, because he wanted, because this was his plan from the beginning. If you knew what kind of death Jesus endured, and that's not just the crucifixion, it's pains, but the fact that he died was a spiritual death that we all had to die in hell forever. But because he redeemed, I did not do anything for it. But simply by believing, I have been redeemed and forgiven. And I have become qualified to go to heaven where the holy ones will dwell. I am not holy. You are not holy. The only one who is holy is Jesus. The only holiness we have is his blood. His blood is my righteousness. The blood of Jesus is my holiness. Let us call in his name so we may live. The rest of the week, rest of the life, testifying his death, testifying who Jesus is. Yeshua. And all we thank for all Yeshua, our father in heaven, our redeemer our Savior. We thank you for all you have done. We thank you for dying on our our behalf while we are still sinners. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your redemption and your redeeming blood that is growing in us. We thank you for all you have done. There is not enough words in the world to express how grateful we are. We are forever grateful. We are forever indebted to you. For you died in our place. You redeemed us. Redeemed us of our of the of sin and pay the price of our sins. You went to where we had to go, and that is death on the cross. Now let us no longer be silent, for you are silent for us. Let us break this silence and open up our lips to testify that you are God, that you are the Holy One of God, that you are the innocent one, that your blood is the blood of God. Help us to go out and testify all that you have done with with joy, with gratefulness with pride with honor let us do this until you come back let us fully understand your redemption so we can be grateful and that our grateful hearts can communicate others to also open their hearts to receive what you have done for them let us go out and live our lives as faithful witnesses until you come back we give you thanks Today and forever and ever for your blood, for your death, for the cross, for all you have done for us. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen.